Thank you, Dave. It's good to see you up and around again. Uh, and uh, well done to you as a church for pressing on and pressing through. I know as I've been involved, as Dave has alluded to, uh, meeting up with your elders over a period of time, uh, many years now, but in this last few years been challenging for you post-pandemic. So I want to say well done. Well done. Some of you haven't gone through that. Some of you have joined since. That's brilliant. And uh, it's good to see a church here that's still faithful to God and got faith for the future as well. So I'm going to preach about seeing the evidence of the grace of God. You're going through a series looking at the grace of God and different parts of the doctrine of God's grace. But I want to look at a church where you could see evidence of the grace of God and uh, relay that to you, not to say you're doing well or bad in this or that, but to encourage you to understand what can be seen when God's grace is at work, what can be seen in the life of a church, in the character of a church. So I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. I'm going to read about the church at Antioch. Remember that uh, Stephen had been martyred, and a wave of persecution broke out, uh, and uh, some of them went to Antioch, and they were witnessing, despite the persecution and the change, uh, they, they, were, they were, in some way, kind of migrants. They had to move from one place to another. They moved to Antioch, which was a Greek-based Syrian city, very cosmopolitan, quite pagan also, a population maybe even half a million in those days. It was the third city in the empire, so Josephus says, behind Rome and Alexandria. So this is a sizable city. And these people who have just been persecuted for their faith and almost kind of thrown out of Jerusalem have gone to Antioch. And rather than staying quiet or giving up, they've shared the gospel. And they've shared the gospel, and God has blessed them in sharing the gospel. And because of this sort of change that's happening, uh, the church in Jerusalem, where the apostles were, they send a guy called Barnabas to go and check up and see how the old Christians are doing. The old Christians, the, the ones who have kind of gone from, uh, from persecution, and maybe the new Christians were doing as well, to encourage them. And he goes... Somebody called him the man with the biggest heart in the church. This Barnabas was full of encouragement, and he was sent to investigate this kind of church plant that had happened, come out of persecution, and to encourage the church. So this cosmopolitan place was also now producing a very cosmopolitan church, which is really good. So let's read Acts 11, verse 19. Now, those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, 
full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. We know him later on as Paul. But this is his name uh, when he was saved, Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And that's the passage I'm going to focus on to see what can we see in that passage that is evidence of the grace of God. It'd be brilliant if there was a list. Uh, Barnabas saw evidence of the grace of God, and it was this, 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 and this. So this is my kind of summary of what I see about the church and the people in Antioch. It goes on, we know in Acts 13, that while they were worshiping and fasting, God spoke to them, and they sent Barnabas and, and Paul off. On mission. So this was a missional church. It was a sending church as well. But we'll focus on what we see here. He saw evidence of the grace of God. Well, what is grace? Well, I hope you're being told everything every week about the grace of God. Because grace of God is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy of God is when he doesn't give us what we do deserve. The grace of God is when actually he gives us what we don't deserve. And grace has already been at work in the lives of these persecuted Christians. They are born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's a work of grace. You have been saved by grace, not by works, not by your achievements, your education, your history, how good you are, how religious you are. You're saved because of God's favor towards you. That's relief, isn't it? Because some of us think, oh, we're going to do it by merit. No, not at all. We're saved by grace through God-given faith. It's not our works. Even the saving faith we have comes by the grace and the gift of God. So from start to finish, our salvation is based on Christ's work, not ours. Are you hearing that? That's so important as we go on to talk about evidence of the grace of God. And it's good news to know that, right? We can go and tell people whether they're fishermen or whether on the high street, whether we live with them, whether we're in our family or not. Actually, salvation isn't gained through your works. It's gained through faith in the work of Jesus. That work has been done. So it's good news to know and it's good news to tell. It's good to, news to know when you're under pressure, knowing actually God's grace still moves towards you and he's patient with you. And it's good news to tell when even you're going through a difficult time. You can be assured of God's love for you, and you can be secure. The first thing, however, having mentioned the evidence of grace at work in salvation, I notice from here is that they had grace to be overcomers. They had grace to be more than conquerors. I've been pastoring churches for decades. 
and actually in church life you have all sorts of difficulties sometimes you have disappointment sometimes you have desertion people leave sometimes people leave the husbands the wives sometimes there's deceit sometimes there's mighty tragedies that go on and tragic circumstances but i've noticed this with people who embrace the goodness and the grace of god that they are overcomers and we go through difficult seasons i'm not denying that these people have gone through a difficult season but they come through the other end hallelujah isn't that good to know that actually we can be overcomers and the lord might take some people the lord might move some people there might be tragedies there might be disappointments but actually you can have the grace of god to help you to reign in life and i want to read a verse from romans chapter 5 verse 17 and it should come up on the screen for you for if by the sin or the trespass of one man that's adam death reigned through that one man so we know that sin came through the disobedience of adam and death came in to the world so for if by the trespass of the one man adam death reigned through that one man how much more that's a lovely phrase how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? I want to tell you, you look out this morning and you see a lot of rain. It's pretty wet, pretty dark, pretty miserable. We've just had the clocks change as if we've just jumped straight into a, a miserable winter season. If you're not careful, you could just live by those circumstances. But actually, we live in the grace of God. The sun of his grace always shines on us. His love always shines on us. And you can think, that's positive thinking. No, it's not positive. It's based on the truth of God's love for us, shown in and through Jesus Christ, who came to be our Savior, who died on the cross for us, who did all to satisfy God so that... We know it isn't our works to satisfy God, it's the work of Jesus. And it's great here, to reign in life, you need to receive this lavish, lavish outpouring of God's grace. And that's so important for us. We have little strength, so where do we take strength from? We take strength, actually, from fellowship, encouragement. We take strength from God's promises, God's word. We take strength through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, but we also take strength receiving God's grace, knowing that he is for us and he accepts us and he gives us what we don't deserve. That's the sort of God that we have. We are called to be strong, to be overcomers, to be more than conquerors. And I'm saying this in a context of reality where we won't always feel like that. We'll go through disappointment, difficulty, seasons of confusion maybe. But actually, if we take on and receive God's grace and hold on to God's grace, we can get through. And we can become more than conquerors, hallelujah, through his love and his grace. How do we reign in life? It says here, receive the grace of God and the gift of righteousness. Just some things to help you. You don't reign in life through your performance because you will be a disappointment to yourself and to others. 
Don't look at your performance and say, that's how I reign. You might have a brilliant weekend. I hope you have a brilliant weekend. And I hope you feel good about yourself. So I'm not talking about condemnation. But I know this. If you judge yourself by your performance, you won't reign in life. Because you'll trip up. You'll fail. You'll make mistakes. You reign in life through God's grace. You don't reign because you're a strong-willed person. Because sometimes in the most strong will for people have their failures and their difficulties. You don't reign in life through imposing laws or pressure on yourself. Don't take on laws or legalism and say, I must do this. I enjoy reading the Bible. I enjoy praying. But I'm not under law doing that. And if I miss it, I, I thank God for his grace. I press on. I don't feel then, oh, I'm not good enough, because I've never been good enough. It's through God's grace. He's giving me and um, calling me a son. It's something that I don't deserve, and I never will deserve. But through faith in Jesus, I've received it. So don't impose laws or pressure on yourself or go under the law. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Don't go under the law. Don't let other people put laws on you and pressure on you as well. Now, I know there's pressures of life. You're expected to turn up and do a, a decent job where you work. There's expectations. But sometimes in our walk of faith, sometimes we come under law. Sometimes we come under the accusation from the enemy. And he says, you're not a good Christian. How long have you prayed? When have you prayed? Have you done this? Have you done that? And we all feel under condemnation. He's the accuser of the brothers. And that happens to us all. Uh, you know, even if you feel a strong Christian, you will still feel the accusation of the enemy. You're not good enough. He tries to get in and spoil us. So you're not under law, but under grace. Hallelujah. What often happens is when people become Christians, they enjoy the grace of God. And then sometimes people say, Sometimes trying to be helpful, well, you need to read the Bible every day. You need to pray every day. And they're not unhelpful things in some ways, but sometimes they can be taken as law. And then we impose law on ourselves and we fall short. And really, God looks to Christ's performance, not your performance. And when you look to Christ's performance and receive God's grace, then actually you respond to that grace. So our discipleship is a response to God's grace. It's not actually proving that we're worthy enough. We're already being made worthy. Are you hearing the message? It's good news. So we reign in life by receiving the grace of God. I want to read another passage to you. This is a bit longer. I think next week someone's going to be preaching about the law, so I don't want to take a lot of time on this. But it talks, it's Romans chapter 7, verses one to four. This is really important for us, so we're not legalistic Christians under the law. People kind of think, oh, I'm under the law. I've got to do this, do that. And, and then we just feel condemned, and we feel as if we can't do it. And if we're not careful, we're like Judaizers at the time of Jesus. We put laws on other people, and we make expectations of others, and it puts them under condemnation as well. Romans 7, verse 1, do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, 
by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So my brothers, that don't be confused by that. It's a good picture. You just need to think about it and see it through. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another. You might belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. Just quickly, you know, how to reign in life. You don't reign by coming under the law and putting yourself under the law. We enjoy the grace of God. And what this passage says is that we're all really married to the law, right? The commands of God are there and very clear. They're there for us. There are standards. And this husband, this this kind of law tells us what to do. He tells you, do this, don't do this. But he doesn't help you at all to do it. You know, I can read the Ten Commands. That reading the Ten Commands, that it doesn't help me at all to do it. I might know it, but it doesn't help me to do it. It might put me under condemnation, but it doesn't lift me at all. It just tells me where I've gone wrong. And it always says this, that actually... This is a law and a husband that is always right. The Ten Commands are always right. Commands of God are always right. Now, I don't know how long I've been married to Pam before she bought me a little, it's a lovely little fridge magnet. And on it, it says this, when I married Mr. Wright, I didn't know his first name was Always. (laughs) I don't know what you're laughing at. You know, so there you are. She's just sending me a little message there. Malcolm, you know, you were Mr. Right for me, but you're not always right, right? So just give a bit of room now and again. So it's a lesson I've sought to heed. Still learning my lesson in that. And do you know what? This husband, the law, is always right. The law is there. It's right. God's commands, God's standards are there for us. And as long as you live, you're married to this law. You are under this law. And Jesus says this, this law will never pass away. He says it will never pass away. And you're husband, the law, is also impotent. In Galatians 3, it says, the law cannot impart life. I mean, the commandments of God don't impart life to me. They don't give me life. They tell me what God is like. Uh, I mean, they tell me what's right and wrong, but they don't impart life to me. The law is impotent. And also, the Bible says the law is good. But get this, the law is good for the sinner, not for the believer. The law is good for the sinner because it brings a challenge to the sinner of what is right and wrong, needing them to find a savior. And it brings them to grace and to God's grace. 
So the Lord is always there. So that's like bad news. It will never pass away. The Lord is there. It's impotent. It doesn't help. He's always right. And the Lord is good, but it's for the sinner, not for the believer. The good news is, and he goes on to say this in, in verse 4 of chapter 7, you died, right? You died to the law when Jesus died. Through the body of Christ, Jesus, right, fulfilled the law, and you fulfill the law in him. I'm just saying this. It needs to be understood by people. I might not be explaining it brilliantly, but don't choose law. Don't choose religious actions. Live in God's grace. It's almost scandalous. It's almost scandalous. Paul raises the question in Romans. He says, well, if, if grace abounds where there's plenty of sin, why don't we carry on sinning so grace can abound more? And he says, by no means. Don't you know that you're now slaves to righteousness? You've been set free from that. We can live a new life. You've been set free to reign and to bear fruit. Hallelujah. Grace doesn't make you lazy. It helps you to realize how lavish God's love and mercy is towards you. And I want to love that God and I want to serve him. And I want to give my life to following Jesus who gave his life for me. That's a response. It's not legalism. It's not performance. God, through Jesus Christ, is potent. He's able to give life and strength and make you fruitful. You're no longer under the law. Don't let any other Christian put you under the law. Don't let any church leader put you under the law. You're under grace. You're under grace. Receive God's grace and mercy. And I believe these people were under God's grace. And that's why they were overcomers. They struggled, they had persecution, they moved, but actually they followed Jesus. They, and our danger is sometimes we struggle following Jesus because we put ourselves under condemnation and law. We try to overcome by more doing. We'll do more, we'll do better. I'll pray more, I'll read the Bible more. These things aren't wrong in themselves, but when it becomes part of your performance, you'll find that you fail. And then you won't feel so good about yourself. You need to feel good about yourself because of God's grace. And these people came through a persecution, a scattering, and were overcomers because they received God's grace. It wasn't about their circumstances. It wasn't about, you know, how good they were. It was about God. And his work started in them was going to continue. The next thing I see is that they have grace to be outgoing. They're free from legalism, doing religion. I find that people are wrapped up in religion, are wrapped up in themselves. They're often wrapped up in their performance or doing religious things. And actually, that doesn't help at all. These people don't seem to be like that. They knew salvation was God's work by grace through faith. And they were motivated to sowing gospel seeds. Rather than keeping quiet about the gospel, which had already brought danger and pressure and migration to them, they shared the gospel freely to Jews and Greeks. They couldn't be silenced. When they moved to Antioch, they didn't say, oh, we've had a bad time in Jerusalem. Let's have our own private, quiet meetings. They didn't do that. When grace touches you, 
you can be outgoing. As Dave said early on, you might be kind of, might not be brash and talkative and chatty, but actually grace should give you an open heart towards other people because you've received mercy, you can show it. Because you've received grace, you can show it. And uh, we know the great illustration of two key okay, lakes in the Bible. Uh, you can read them at the back in the Bible maps. I don't know whether they're anointed or not, the Bible maps. But anyway, they're at the back of your Bible. If you've got a Bible, find the Bible maps. And you see Lake Galilee, which is teeming with life. And you see the Dead Sea, which is, has no life in it. And what's the difference? One has an outflow and the other one doesn't. And I think that's a big picture for us. We need to have outflows. So the grace of God in us isn't something we just protect and preserve as our domain, but actually we let it flow through us to others. And these people had the grace to be outgoing. That doesn't mean you have to be the biggest evangelist in town or the noisiest person. It just means you have a heart for others. You reach out for others. You care for others. And you can be an example of God's love and God's grace in what you do and what you say to them. There's already been some Gentile conversions in Samaria through Philip and Cornelius. We read that in the previous chapter in uh, the chapters about uh, 8 through to 10. But the scale and scope of evangelization in Antioch was something absolutely new. These new residents in town, they were newcomers. You know, they were newcomers. They just arrived in the street or in the town, and they were out telling other people. These newcomers were sharing the good news. People won't be saved without hearing the word of God and without God-given faith. So they'd received God's amazing grace. They didn't get wrapped up in security or safety right, and remain separate from the world. No, they were out there. They were sharing and I believe God's grace helps us to be outgoing. We share it. We keep sharing the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we also can expect God to make us fruitful. Don't allow persecution or difficulty to make you close in on yourselves. Even when you get down maybe to a few people here, make sure right, you're faithful. Keep reaching out. Keep doing that, and God will bless you. The next thing, oh, I'll just say, quote something from a guy called William Barclay. He says these about amazing people in the church. And I want to commend many of you here. Here we have the Antioch church sharing the good news, telling the Jews and the Greeks, and they have a fruitful Gentile mission. This is an advance of the kingdom uh, beyond what had been known before. Because now many, many Gentiles are getting saved. And it happens uh, in Antioch here. And he, he says this. Here we have a truly amazing thing. The church has taken one of the biggest steps of all time. And we do not even know the names of the people who took that step. When I read that passage to you, were there any names of people from Antioch mentioned? Maybe where they were from. Some were from Libya. Uh, some were from Cyprus, and later on, some might be from Ethiopia or something like that. We don't know exactly, but they're from all over the place. He says, we do not even know the names of the people who took that step. 
All we know is that they came from Cyprus and Cyrene. They go down to history as nameless pioneers of Christ. It always been one of the tragedies of the church that men and women have wished to be noticed and named when they did something worthwhile. What the church has always needed, perhaps more than anything else, is people who never care who gains the credit for it so long as the work is done. You know, the churches I see, and I'm involved, the churches I led, they weren't there because of the named people. <laughs> they were there because lots of people were faithful and served. And they didn't need to be named. You know, if they wrote a story about Jubilee Church and it was like 12 verses in the Bible, you might not be named. But actually, you've played an amazing part. And I want to encourage you in your faithfulness to keep pressing on. Keep serving God. Keep having faith for the church, for his work, what he wants to do. The church is imperfect. It will go through seasons of, of ups and downs. But actually, be faithful. And I want to commend you for your faithfulness. He says here, you know, these people, some people want their name in lights about what they've done in the church. These people didn't. These men or women may not have written their names in men's books of history, but they've written them forever in God's book of life. Hallelujah. What a commendation. What a commendation. Well done for keeping on and being outgoing. A few more things very quickly, and then I'm going to finish. I also see they had grace to be one new man. When Jesus said he would be lifted up, he said he was going to draw all people to him from all nations, from all backgrounds. And the church is the one new man in Christ. It talks in Ephesians 2 about walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile broken down, between any other barriers that might be there, whether it be educated or non-educated, whatever your ethnicity, all of these things. We're no longer separated. We're no longer excluded. We're no longer hostile to one another. But in Christ, we are joined and united. And I see that the grace of God helps you not to be a British church or an African church, but to be one new man in Christ from people from all nations. Hallelujah. From all backgrounds, from all sorts of education. Uh, that's what God wants to do. It's his delight to show his wisdom and his grace when people from all sorts of different backgrounds come together. This Antioch church was multi-ethnic. From Libya, from Cyprus, from Greece, there were Jews, different backgrounds, different education, different cultures. Now they're in fellowship together, on mission together. And in God's grace, diversity is celebrated. Hallelujah. We can afford to be different. It's overcome. We're all one family. And I believe churches full of grace should always reflect a kind of a multinational gospel effect and also a relevance in all nations and even the membership of people who are from different nations. And one man, one new man also reflects that you are free to be who you are. Hallelujah. You don't have to conform to being English. Say amen. 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 You don't have worse. You could be Welsh if you're not careful. All right? I'm sorry for any Welsh people here, but 
you know, in some ways, we say, oh, well, we have to conform. No, you are free to be yourself. You've come out of place of maybe shame and difficulty, and you've new, moved to a place of acceptance. It's brilliant news that you are free to be yourself in your diversity as a new person in Christ, where grace is abundant. There's no shame for your old life. Hallelujah. Whether you are a prostitute or an alcoholic, whether you're divorced or whatever, whatever color you are, ethnicity, education, whether you've got a degree or you haven't, that's nothing to hang over you at all. You are free to be who you are. Hallelujah. In this church as one new man and woman together. Your new identity in Christ supersedes your old identity. Hallelujah. It doesn't obliterate it, but it supersedes it. We still know our backgrounds. We still know where we've come from. We can still maybe think of our difficulties and challenges, but actually what supersedes it all, I'm part of this church. I'm in God's grace. I'm part of one new man together. And grace releases us from the shame of our past. Uh, sometimes we come to church and we're still living in shame. We're still living in shame of our past deeds. And the devil just keeps poking us, right? And says, you were like this. You, you failed here. And there's big, like, landing areas in our life where the devil can land with his condemnation. We need to obliterate those with the grace of God and the forgiveness of God as well. Grace releases us from the shame of our old lives. Shame is debilitating. It's counterproductive. It steals hopes and joy. There's a guy called Lewis Meads. He says, there are three common causes of crippling shame. One is secular culture, which says you must look good, you must feel good, and you must make good. That's the advertising life around us. Right? This is what real life is about. It's perfect. It's wonderful. It's clean. It's the whitest teeth. It's the best hair. It's the biggest car. And it's the big house. Right? And then we kind of feel, well, I'm not doing that. And we can feel ashamed of ourselves. He said the second cause is this, graceless religion. That's a cause of shame. Where people come under law and then come under condemnation. And the third one, which some of us may have suffered from, unaccepting parents. Parents who have shown their disapproval to you, who have never commended you, have always made you feel like a disappointment, or even parents who have disappeared. They haven't stuck around even to care for you. Those things are things that bring shame to us. Paul, he could be ashamed. He said, I was a blasphemer. I'm the least and the last. I persecuted the church. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. And he was free to be himself. And God called you to be like that too. Grace to do that. The healing relief of grace. I'm going to finish there. There's one or two other things I could have done, but I prepared too much material. So I'm going to cut there. But I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for people who feel as if they're always walking under condemnation. And I'm also going to pray for people who feel they have a big burden of shame. Right? 
or not good enough hanging over them. And uh, let's close our eyes and let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we live in your abundant, lavish grace. And that's not something we've earned. It's because of your mercy and your heart and your love that you've provided for us a means of rescue, a means of escape. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is our means of rescue. He's our provision. He's the one who has died on the cross and taken our place so that we no longer need to live under condemnation or shame. Lord, we thank you for the example of this church. The evidence of your grace was that they were overcomers. Hallelujah. They weren't under the circumstances. They came through over them. They weren't under condemnation. Hallelujah. They weren't under any shame. Hallelujah. They could be free to be themselves in your grace. And I pray right now, as you speak to people, you will release your grace in special ways to people. I'm going to ask you right now, if you know that you live under like a burden of shame, right, and you feel always accused of that yourself or by others or by the enemy, right, I want you to stand up right now. If you feel the shame in your life and you can't feel to get rid of it. I want to pray for people who feel there are areas where they feel they're never good enough, right? They're under condemnation, right? They try to do, and you, you know you're caught by the law in some ways. You're trying to kind of outdo God's provision by working your way to please him. Then you stand up as well. Now, because I said earlier on, we're one new man in Christ, I'm going to pray for these people in a moment. But I'd love some people to be standing with them. So, can you, if you're not standing, or just have a look and go and stand with, and just put your hand in an appropriate place on the shoulder or with them. Go and stand with them. Please feel free to do that. You might need a few more just getting involved. There's a couple of guys here, yeah. And I believe the power of God is here to release people. You are actually released. <laughs> and you need to know the truth. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. Think on truth. You've been set free from your past. You've been forgiven. You're a new creation in Christ. The things that you've done have been forgiven. They can be forgiven. They will be forgiven. And I pray right now, mighty God, that the power of your Holy Spirit will come upon these folk, whether they're standing under a cloud of shame whether they're standing, Lord, under a cloud of condemnation or legalism, I ask in the name of Jesus that your grace might pour into their hearts and their minds and their lives right now. That they might know that it's, it's all about you, Lord Jesus. It's not about them. 
It's not about what they've done, what they haven't done, the mistakes they've made or the way they're trying to please you. Oh, God, set them free from legalism. Set them free from performance. Set them free from the accusation of the enemy. Help them to stand in your grace, accepted, loved, known by you, free to be themselves. Hallelujah. And I pray every kind of chain of accusation and condemnation and shame will be broken in their lives right now. Heal them, Lord. Renew their minds. Restore their hearts and spirits. And cause them to enjoy living in your grace. Amen.